That's awesome. Amen. Good mornings. It's good to see everyone here today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of our worship service. And if you were not, if you're not able to be here today and you're watching through live stream, welcome. We thank you for being here with us through our live stream. But church family, isn't it good to be together? This is what God has called us to, life together, and that we can trust him for the outcome. No matter what comes our way, he is faithful, as we sang this morning. He loves us, and no matter what happens to us, he's got us. Amen. We're in his grip, and so we can trust him. So today, as we are moving forward, as a, as a church family, we want to know what it means to live fully. Amen? And so we want to, this life of loving God, love others, and share Christ, what does it mean to live fully? And we've been walking through that. We know that on this side of death, we are going to continuously uh, be approached by God through his word to have our hearts be shaped and fashioned into his image. And he, what have we said over and over again, what does he use to refine our faith and the character of God within us? He uses our trials perseverance and that that persecution that we're walking through as a church, uh, he uses that to shape us so that on this side of heaven, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the love and the character of God in the world that we live in. Amen? But one day, we will truly know what it means to live fully. One day, not only are we going to have the the full character of God on display within us and through us, but we're going to have a body like Christ. The Apostle John would say in a moment, uh, in that twinkling of an eye, as Paul would say, we're going to be changed into his image. The Lord's coming back, amen? And we're getting closer and closer every day, which means we need to let the Word of God fashion our thinking in such a way that if we truly believe this, that belief should drive our behavior. The belief should drive our behavior. So today, as uh, last week we were in Revelation chapter 5, where God is fashioning a people many into one. Remember in the, in, uh, when Adam and Eve in the beginning when they fell uh, and they were, they were sent out of the garden and man began to multiply, they were dispersed, they were to, to go across the earth and, and then what did we happen? We had many across, but now through Christ, what do we have? A bringing back together into one through Christ, through faith in Christ. And so when we're looking at serving in the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit gives each one of us a gift to be used in the body for the building up of the body, which means every born-again believer is vitally important in this body of Christ. If you are not here engaged in the relationship, we're missing out because you've been given a gift to employ for the good of the whole body. And so in Romans chapter 12, because we want to look at in this caring for one another, in this living out our faith in Christ together as the body of Christ in this day and time, when hostility is on the rise, when anger is rampant in the world, the country we live in, when people are confused and it seems chaotic out there, now more than ever, the body of Christ has to be united, employing the gifts that God has given us. And we're going to see in Romans chapter 12, those gifts, and how we are to interact together in the body of Christ. I'm going to read the whole chapter in a moment, but I'm going to focus on verse 1 and 2 specifically today because it enables us, those two verses and this letter that Paul is writing, that's like a starting point for us. If we miss verse 1 and 2, we're not going to know how to do the rest of the chapter. And so 
walking through this, let me just give you a quick synopsis before we read the chapter. Now, I know for some, man, you were going to read the whole chapter? Yes, we're going to read the whole chapter, and we'll be okay. We'll make it through. But let me give you a quick synopsis of why Paul is even writing the book of Romans, okay? Now, Paul has been uh, called by God to go out. Christ has said, Paul, I'm calling you to go out and share the good news with the Gentile nations. My nation, Israel, has rejected. They have rejected me. And, Paul, I'm sending you out. Out of that rejection so the, the rest of the world, the nations, will have an opportunity to hear the good news. So that's Paul. He's out there sharing the good news, the gospel with Gentiles. And so while he's out there sharing, the whole time he's like, you know, in the, well, we just see it from reading Scripture. He wants to go to Rome. He wants to fellowship with the church in Rome. And in the church at Rome, there are Jewish believers who believe not only this faith in Christ, but they are adding the law. As Jewish believers are saying, yes, we're saved, we believe on Christ, but we also believe we have to keep the law. Now, we also know that in this day and time, the Jewish nation of Israel, they're lost. They've rejected the Messiah Christ, so there's that influence. But in the church at Rome, you've got those Jewish believers, they're saying it's faith and we have to keep the law. But then there are Gentiles in the church as well. And they're agreeing with Paul. They're saying, yes, Paul, we receive righteousness through faith in Christ alone. Paul, as Gentiles, we're with you, brother. Now there's this this animosity building. And these Jewish believers who say you have to keep the law as well, they're saying, Paul, the real reason why you're not coming to fellowship with us is that you're ashamed of your gospel of faith alone through Christ Jesus, that that's how we receive our righteousness. And Paul says, you know Paul. Paul says, oh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto what? salvation. He would say to the Jew first and then the Gentile. He said, no, no, rest assured, I'm not ashamed of my gospel. Let me tell you why I'm really not there in Rome with you. The real reason is that I have been called by Christ to go and share the good news with the Gentile nations. I've been busy about sharing this gospel, and that is what has hindered me from coming to you. And we see this in his letter. You see it in chapter 15, if you go there later. And he says, but here's what, here's what I've also been busy about. You know, there's a famine in Jerusalem, and the church there is suffering. And so there are churches that have given a gift, and I'm going to take that gift with others. We're going to take it back to Jerusalem, and we're going we're to help our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. They're going through this famine. Once I take that back, then you know where I'm heading? I'm heading off to Spain. Heading off to Spain, and on my way to Spain, I'm stopping in at the church at Rome. And he says, I hope to be refreshed by our fellowship. But here in Romans, Paul then goes on to explain his gospel. And we have one of the greatest letters that explains our faith in Christ and how we have been pronounced not guilty through faith in Christ and how we, we receive the righteous character of God through faith in Christ. Paul's going to lay that out. He says, my gospel, this faith alone in Christ, is simply a gospel that is based on the Old Testament being fulfilled in Christ. So he, he doesn't, he said, I'm not rejecting the law. I'm just telling you there is one who has kept the law. There's only one who has fulfilled the law, and that's Christ Jesus. He would go on to say in chapters 1 through 3, he would say that the law did its job. 
the Gentiles and the Jews, everyone is guilty of sin. Everyone's fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not doing away with the law. I'm just saying there's only one who's kept the law, and that is Christ. Therefore, he is the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His sacrifice is acceptable to God, the Father, to make full payment for the penalty of our sins. Amen? Four and five, we see this righteousness that we receive through faith in Christ. That's, he speaks of that in four and in chapter five, how we are, uh, we are given the approval of God and access to this holy God through faith in Christ alone. And we get into chapter six and seven, so five, six, seven, and eight is this how this sanctification, big churchy word, but you know what it means? It means us becoming more like Christ. That's what he's talking about in these chapters. It begins with faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. All of our sins are covered by the blood of Christ, but yet there's this process we're working through, and it's a transformation. It's a transformation. So when you walk through those chapters, that's what Paul is talking about. And then he, he gets into 9, 10, and 11. He says, oh, no, Jewish brothers and sisters, God has not rejected the Jews. Oh, they have rejected Christ, but rest assured, when the king comes back and he establishes throne here on earth, uh, Revelation 5, what we talked about last week in the great tribulation, what's he going to do? He's going to bring Israel to repentance. He will establish the nation once again. And we as Gentiles who've been grafted in through faith in Christ, we've all become many becoming one. We get to reign with him forever. So when we, we have to understand these things, and I don't, I'm not going to take the time to walk through all of chapters 1 through 11, but to have that synopsis, when we understand the church at Rome, here's the, some of the issues they're dealing with, and these Gentiles, by the way, who are agree, in agreement with Paul, they become a little arrogant. In fact, they become puffed up with their knowledge, and they're saying, yeah, Paul, we're with you, brother. And our Jewish brothers and sisters, they don't get it. They don't get it, and they, they begin to elevate themselves over their Jewish brothers and sisters in the faith. They, they start saying things like, man, how crazy are they? And they start to judge. Now, we don't do that, do we, in the church? We got it all figured out. Uh, we're, <laughs> oh, man, our motives of why we do what we do. So Paul's dealing with, he says, Gentile brothers and sisters are in the church. Oh, no, no, no. We got to have some humility here. And so in chapter 12, he's dealing with these, he's been dealing with Jewish believers who said it's the law. We've got to obey the law as well and keep the law. And then these Gentile brothers who say, no, 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 it's faith alone. And all of this, and what is it doing? It's building division in the body. And so in chapter 12, he expresses their imperatives. This is what we're to do as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But there's something that gets in the way. It's our sinful nature. Our sinful nature gets in the way. You've seen it, uh, even here today. Uh, I, I would dare say, if we were to be honest, there may be somebody on the, I don't even want to look at people. There may be somebody on this side of the room that's got something against somebody on this side of the room. And, and if you could, you would sit as, you would sit even further away from each other if you could. Because our flesh, our sinful nature, why we do what we do, it gets in the way. So I'm going to read chapter 12, and in verse 1 and 2, there is this process that Paul, he really puts it in a nutshell of what he's been talking about in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and 8. There's something that, that has to take place. So let's read. Therefore, 
I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never, never, now I can say I don't want to do this, but here's where God is really good and he sees all things. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Here's another one. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy, oh, here's another one. But if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Here's another one. Overcome evil with what? Good. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, we can put on a great face many times, but Jeremiah the prophet would say, heart is wicked. Who can understand it? Lord, our motives of why we do what we do, and if we were to be honest, a lot of times we do things because we, we think it makes us look good or a better Christian. Lord, you see all things. We, you see all things. Help us to understand that there is a process you're walking us through. There is this way of refining our faith and where you're shaping the character of God in our lives to where, Lord, our sinful nature is being crucified. It's being crucified. Lord, I'm to be dead to sin. So, Lord, help us today. We need you. We need understanding and we need wisdom, the wisdom of God. Help us to reject human reasoning, what I think, 
what I think is lacking, it is limited. Lord, I need to know I need to know what you say is good and right and then respond accordingly. Lord, we need your guidance today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was thinking through this uh, time today, I remember as uh, I was on the wrestling team in high school, and I wasn't a great wrestler. I'm not even going to go there. But uh, there was this one match that I was preparing for. I was getting ready to go against the state champ in the 155 weight class. Man, this guy was great. He was good. And I was trying to get ready for that, but I, I just really cut myself off at the knees because my attitude going in, my attitude going in was, he's not going to pin me. He's not going to pin me. You know what it means to pin in wrestling? Both shoulder blades on the mat. Ref goes, blows the whistle, pinned. This guy's not going to pin me down. Yes, he knows more about wrestling. He's got more moves. He knows more. He's got greater knowledge of the sport than me. Uh, I, I definitely know he's stronger than me. And, and he may have that going for him, but uh, he's not pinning me down. He's not pinning me down. Well, guess what? No, he didn't pin me down. But here's the reality. He still won. Uh, no, he didn't pin me. But he still won and I still lost. It didn't change the reality. He still won, and I still lost. That was my attitude going in. And many times what I see happening in the church is that we take this same approach when it comes to the transforming power of the Word of God. We know that God's Word will address sin in our lives. We know that God's Word will say, here's the character of God, and here's the character of man. And as, as born-again believers, we still wrestle with the character of man, the sinful Adam nature. We still deal with that. And God's Word is saying this is the character of God, His love and His mercy. And His Word reveals to me, as I'm studying His Word, He says, Tim, this doesn't line up with my character, so you got to do something about that. But often what we do is we say, God, you're not pinning me down. He's showing us because he loves us and he wants the body of Christ. Paul is addressing the church. The, the, it's plural, the members of the body. He's saying, church, this is for us. And, and Lord, would, he would show us the error of our ways. And I, the, here's the harsh reality. In the end, you can say, God, you're not pinning me down. The word today, you know. I don't have to know the details of your life. There are certain areas in relationships, you know God's word is convicting you. You know there's change that needs to come. And for many of us, we're going, how do I, I know because this is, but I'm dealing with this each and every day. Oh, God, you know all things. We said it last week, week Revelation 5, what do we say? He is all-knowing. Everything is laid bare before him. He knows our intentions, our thoughts, our motives of why we do what we do, and his word exposes all of that. Everything is laid. He is all-knowing. He's got greater knowledge than us about how to do life, folks. And he is all-powerful. We have said that. He does have the ability as the creator God and our Savior, he has the ability to bring change in our life where we no longer have to submit, keep submitting to the power of sin in our lives. We can overcome. 
He sees it all. He knows all things, and he is all-powerful, and he would say to the church, through the power of my word, I can give you the ability to overcome power, the power of sin in your life. Here's the problem. We refuse many times to allow the word of God to pin us down. God's still going to win. The Savior still wins in the end. And guess what? When I refuse to be pinned by the word of God, guess who loses? Me. Because I miss out on the opportunity and the blessing of being shaped into his image. Now, what would that have to do with today where we are as a church? Well, look at our typical response not only to each other in the body of Christ, but look at our response out in the world we live in. When I, when I listen to what is happening in the world today, do you know how that just makes my blood boil? And the word of God would say, Tim, what are you upset about? That's the character of man on display. Uh, love is growing cold in the hearts of man, and we're getting closer and closer. To my Tim, the world is just responding the way the world, that's the nature of the world. Why are you surprised? Tim, you should be more surprised when the church acts more like the world. And so Paul here in this text, verses 1 and 2, he's giving us a way in which God can pin us down. He's giving us a process. He's walking us through. And I want you to think of sacrifice. I want you to think of the sacrifice of Christ. We have said that Christ, he was obedient even to the point of what? Death. Obedience to the Father's will led him to sacrifice himself so that a people might be delivered, delivered from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. Uh, at the cross, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, what happens? We receive forgiveness of sin. The blood of Christ atones for our sin. We are washed. We are brought into this relationship with this holy God. We gain the approval of God. Amen? Yet, Today, we still deal with that sinful nature. And so, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, I urge you, brethren, by the what? The mercies of God. He's saying in the beginning of 12, as he begins to talk about how we do life in the body of Christ, he says, based on these first 11 chapters, church, here should be our normal response. Our normal, therefore, I urge you, and he's encouraging. That urging is, is to summons, it's to call. He's saying, I, I want to exhort you, church. I, I'm encouraging you. This, this next part, I, I so want you to get this. Brethren, a term of endearment, we're in the body, the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ by the mercies of God. What does he mean? Well, he's just spent 11 chapters talking about the mercies of God. Now, let me just bring up speed one more time. That we are all guilty, deserving of death and deserving punishment, the wrath of God. But God so loved, out of God the Father's love, he did what? He sent his son, Jesus Christ. He, the word made flesh, and he lived and dwelt among men. He was that example of righteousness, the visible image of the invisible God, and he went to the cross. And through faith in Christ, we received the righteousness of God. Amen? 
And, and so Paul's, he's laying all this out in the first 11 chapters, and these are the mercies of God, and we are brought into fellowship with a holy God. And so he's saying, church, by the mercies of God, we are to present our bodies. He says, present your bodies. Church at Rome, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Remember the sacrifice of Christ. Obedience led to sacrifice, which sacrifice led to deliverance. Now, we as born-again believers, we've been covered by the blood of Christ. We have been forgiven of all of our sins, yet we still deal with a sinful nature. And so we've got to, out of obedience to Christ, we've got to present ourselves to him that the power of God's word would enable us to overcome, that we would not yield to that sinful nature, yet overcome and yield to the character of God. Today, you will have an opportunity to let your selfish desires elevation of self or justifying your, your behavior, why you're going to have an opportunity to do all that. But in that moment, I could say, no, wait a minute. I'm not to submit to the power of sin. I'm to yield to Christ and his character. So life would say, be selfish, elevate self, your agenda, your will, your way. No, no, no. I, I was once dead in sin, Paul would say. I was once dead in sin, but then in Romans 6, I am now dead to sin. We walk through chapter 6, he would say, uh, we were once dead in sin, and we would present our bodies to the power of sin, to the lust of the flesh, to be controlled by sin. We were, in chapter 6, we were slaves to sin, but now we have died to that through Christ. And we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. Now I'm in Christ. I was once dead in sin. Now I'm alive in Christ I have been set free from sin, and now I'm in Christ. And so now, instead of presenting my life to the power of sin and yielding to it, I'm able to overcome because I've been made alive in Christ. Amen? I am now, I'm alive. I have the, the character of God placed within me. I have the opportunity now, whereas before, I didn't know what it meant to love God. I had no ability to love God. I definitely had no ability to love you the way Christ has loved me. But because I'm now alive in Christ and Christ has given me the righteous character of God has been placed within me, now I have the ability to love God with all of my heart, soul, and mind and strength, or at least be working towards that till the day that it's completed. And I get to now be able to love you the way he's loved me. And I get to walk in that fullness each and every day as best I can while I'm just presenting myself. I'm presenting myself today, God. Here I am. I don't, want to let, I don't want to let the sinful nature that I still struggle with. Paul would talk about that where? In chapter 7. That struggle is raging within me. And he would speak to the power of Christ. He would say, but God, but God, this wretched man that I am. So Paul is in the struggle himself, and he's saying, how do we overcome that? We are a living and holy sacrifice. When he says living and holy, I've been made alive in Christ through faith in Christ, and that holy means set apart, consecrated for the purposes of God. And so this process of God today, I don't want to submit to the power of sin. I want to yield to you and your character. And Lord, I want you to transform me to become more like you and living that out. And so to be used for your purposes. But the interesting thing is it's a choice. It's a choice. When God's word says, here's what we want to deal with today, do we say, okay, Lord, I surrender. Shoulder blades flat on the mat. Pin me down, God. Pin me down. Or do we say, 
You're not pinning me down, Lord. You're not pinning me down today. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to face that. I don't want to overcome that. And so Paul's saying, you've got to sacrifice. You've got to be a living sacrifice. You've got to be obedient and daily die to that sinful nature. And then we'll do what? Yield to the power of God's word, Christ, that the character is able to come forth. Because he, he says this, this way of living is acceptable to God. You presenting yourself daily as that living and holy sacrifice, he said, this is acceptable to God. And he also says, uh, this is your spiritual service of worship. This is how I'm to worship God with my life each and every day, by presenting myself to him for righteousness. Paul would speak of that in chapter 6 as well. So today, God, here I am, this vessel, transform me, help me to display the character of God. Help me to yield to your character and not sinful man's character. Are we, are we good on that? Okay, because when we go to the next verse, he's moving into this next verse, and he says, and do not be conformed to this world. Do not let the world's way of thinking, do not let the world's philosophy uh, press you into that image. Do not submit to the world's way of thinking. Excuse me, this thing is really, it is, praise God for it. Uh, do not be conformed to this world. And so I'm not to let the world's way of approaching life be what drives me. Uh, let, me let me put it this way. So we know, we've talked through Scripture where Paul would say, Peter would say, James would say, the apostles, they're teaching. Uh, the world would say, uh, experience all that the world has to offer minus God. And do everything you can to escape suffering, persecution. That's the world's philosophy. Your best life now. But God's word would say, this faith in Christ, he is going to use suffering and persecution and trials and tribulation as the means by which he refines our faith and develops the character of God within us. So that when these bad times come, I have an opportunity to show his love and mercy to others. You know, just at that point, when that happens, your natural response is to repay evil with evil, to yell, scream, and throw a fit. I mean, we don't have to be taught how to be sinners. Look at a two-year-old. I mean, they're just ungodly heathens. If they weren't so cute and we didn't love them, uh, Lord, we'd get rid of them. You don't have to teach a baby. What do they do? They, uh, they get hungry, so they cry. Uh, they make messes, so they cry. They don't get their way, so they cry. Sounds like grown-ups to me. You don't have to teach someone how to be a sinner. That is our nature. And the way the world would have us think, he says, you don't fall in line with that. Rather, what do we do? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want you to understand this. He used this word, the, God uses this word at the Mount of Transfiguration, where the form of Christ, there with Peter, James, and John, he, his form, his image, it was transformed. The glory of the Christ, you know, we, he's veiled in flesh, the word made flesh. Okay, so uh, he is transformed right in front of them. Paul is, what Paul is saying is that the, the power of the word of God, when we yield to the word and we allow the word to transform us, what is on the inside is able to come out. It is, uh, Jesus would say, 
what is in the heart comes forth. What we speak, what we say, it comes out of where? The heart. What is on the inside comes out. When I am serving Christ as a pastor or as a brother in Christ, do I do it so that I can meet the approval of God, so I can appear as a better Christian or better person, or do I do, I do it out of love for Christ? You see, there's a character that God gives us. It should become just second nature. I should just love God as a part of having his nature in me. I should love you as he loves me because that's just the character that's been placed within me. I don't have to justify it. I don't have to use it for uh, self-righteous. It's just who I am. And as I grow in that, the word of God transforms the inside so that it's able to just come out as a part of that character. Uh, It's the same with man's character. It just comes out because it's who you are. You sin because that's your nature. And so this renewing of the transformed by the renewing of your mind, where does that transformation take place? In the mind. How does that take place? Through the word of God. What is God doing? He uses his word. It is an intelligent, a decisive, deliberate choice that we make. It's not the result of an emotional experience. It's not the result, this transformation is not the result of you walking into a worship service and this dynamic emotional experience overtakes you, overwhelms you, where you lose all sense of control and you say, God just took over me. That's not what Paul's saying. Do we have emotions? Do we have feelings? Yes. When we experience the worship of Christ, will it move us emotionally? Will it move the heart? You bet. But when we talk about transformation, when we talk about becoming more like Christ, it takes place in the mind, Paul says. What is that happening there? You gain an understanding of who Christ is. You gain an understanding that this is who he is and what he's done for the church. What he's willing to do for anyone who chooses to believe. It it takes place in the mind. But here, that's the, the beginning point, but what does it do? As we chew on the word as we uh, make it a part of our lives and we're thinking through it and we're understanding where does it move it moves to the heart and it becomes conviction so much so i believe my trust my confidence is so in christ and faith in christ that he then moves me to action so it starts working in the mind understanding god's word knowing his word it becomes a part of our belief of who we are at our core And out of that conviction, it moves us to action. And Paul would say, that's where it begins, and it moves in us and through us. Uh, Some would say that the heart and mind are are used interchangeably in Scripture. Because in in the mind, the suke, it is is where our, our will, our desires, our devotions all come out of that. And so... God does a work there so that you may prove what the will of God is. It is prove is to ascertain. I gain this understanding of what the will of God. This is the will of God for my life. That I confront sin in my life. I am to be dead to sin, be a living sacrifice. I'm dead to sin, but alive in Christ and submitting myself to the character of God, the word of God, so that this transformation is taking place. What is on the inside comes out, and people see Christ. They see the glory of Christ. They see the work of Christ. They see the character of God. That's the will of God, this refining and how he does it through suffering and persecution. This is the will of God for my life. 
It's not to remove me from suffering, but he uses suffering. He gets in the middle of that with me. He transforms me. He says, come on, let's go. Let's go. And he says that this process is good. That is in the physical and moral sense. This is good as God defines what is good. And it's spoken of persons and things. And, um, and so this good will of God, it is something that is so good that when other people come in contact with it, they are blessed as a result of interacting with this. It is good. It is acceptable, meaning it's well-pleasing. It's perfect. This process that God is walking us through and confronting sin in our lives, it is well-pleasing. How would that be well-pleasing to the soul, to use an individual? Because you're overcoming. You're overcoming the power of sin in your life, and it's perfect. God is bringing this process of bringing you to completion. He is finishing out your faith as we move closer and closer to his return, that resurrection, and it is perfecting this faith. This will that's the kind of will that the God has for us. And so the real issue is, is that we need to understand I was once dead in sin, but now I'm alive in Christ. Now as a born-again believer, I am to be dead to sin. I'm not to yield to the power of sin, but I'm to overcome that through the Word of God and the fellowship with the believers that I don't have to remain there. I can overcome. And we're all a part of that overcoming. So today, you're going you're gonna to be faced with the word is, Tim, let's read through this chapter. Tim, um, you got some issues here. You're jacked up. And the Lord's saying, I want to pin you down. I want to pin you down. I have a choice. Do I yield? Do I surrender? I go, uncle, to yield? I say, Lord, you're not pinning me down. I know you know all things. I know you see all things. I know you're all powerful. God, I'm going to keep the show going. I'm going to keep wearing the mask. And what do you want to do? Do you want to overcome that sin in your life? you want to see that transformation take place in you, through you? I do. Because when I allow him to pin me down, He's going to win regardless. In the end, everyone's going to kneel and, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? In the end, that's the case. But I want, to, I want to kneel now. I want to bow now and say, God, you got me. And it's safe. It's out of his great love for us that he does this. It's amazing. Because his love is so far-reaching. He says, when it comes to your salvation, there's nothing that you can do or fail to do to change how much I love you. I just love you. Okay, we're in his love. It is safe to acknowledge this sin. It is safe to say, God, i got to overcome this. He's going, yeah, that's right, because we want to move beyond this. It's not an issue of salvation. It's not an issue of love. The issue is just saying, God, I, I want to be more like you. And it's safe to let him do that work in me. So I, I, I pray that you will... We're walking through his word that you will not run from it, but yield to him. Yield to the process of making yourself a living sacrifice. Saying, God, just keep that transformation coming, okay? It's going to be tough at times. It's going to be tough to love each other. It's going to be hard. (laughs) 
I so want to go somewhere else, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, let's trust the Lord. Let's, let's, let's stand and let's pray. I know with the mask and the, the coronavirus, you know, we, uh, and it, normally we have an invitation where we say, come. And uh, if God's leading you to salvation and you're not saved, you've never trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And normally this is a time where we'd say, come. If God's leading you, come, come. Uh, well, this is also a time where we normally come and we pray for each other down front or we pray together. But because of where we find ourselves, Alan and I are going to be down front here. We'll be here. But let's use this song as an opportunity to really just, just say, God, you know, have I been pushing back? Have I been refusing to submit to you and your character? Have I been saying, Lord, he's shining a light. His word shines a light on that sin in our personal lives. There's something there. Each one of us has something. And he's showing it. He's faithful. So I want to deal with this. So during this song, just pray. Say, God, if there's something, show me. Show me. Let me turn it over to you. And uh, let's use this time to do that. And you can sing or pray. And, and then afterwards, if, if you want to come, uh, we'll be available to pray with you if you need to pray. So, Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you for our time together. And, Lord, uh, there's just so much in this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And uh, it's so rich. It's so incredible how you spoke through the Apostle Paul. And, Lord, this process of transformation that you have us on as a church of becoming more and more like you your character and putting that on display God it, it, this there's a struggle there are times where we don't want to give in help us we need you Lord we need your, the power of your word to do its work help us to yield and surrender help us to trust you and you know what you're doing you'll get in the middle of it with us and you'll walk us through and the Lord the, help us to not forget that the way you walk us through this is through the love of brothers and sisters in Christ. Your strength is made evident through the body of Christ. And so help us to allow that work to happen. We love you. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name I pray.